Welcome to the Marriage Today podcast. I'm Jimmy Evans. This is my wife, Karen. On this program today, we're talking about freedom, uh, the foundations for total freedom in your own life and in your marriage. Huge teaching that affects every single married couple. Before we go to the teaching, we have a couple of questions. Karen, you have the first one here. No, you do, honey. I do. Never mind. (laughs) Yes, my husband had an affair early in our marriage. It's now been three years since that happened. And we have had many talks about moving forward and how I can forgive him. But I still have issues trusting him, and I'm constantly afraid of being manipulated. How can I learn to trust again? Well, it's time. I mean, it it takes time to grow in that kind of trust, especially Mm -hmm. that kind of violation. And, you know, honestly, let me just say I'm really proud that they chose to stay together and to work on it because um, it is devastating, and it it violates the deepest core of trust. But, you know, keep yourself accountable with other couples. You know, get around other people who can help you walk through this because I don't think you should navigate these kind of issues alone. No, they're just no. too serious. And uh, you you're you get in your head too much. And as a, especially as a woman, you know, our, we're, we are imagining and thinking and, and the what ifs, the yeah. will he ever, or, you know, all those um, you know, questions that come to our mind that are accusations against our, our spouse. Right. And, you know, as much as there's a reason for it, it's not healthy, no. you know. And so for her to maybe go to someone and get counseling for herself and just walk through it with somebody else. Well, it's it, there are stages of grief. And in uh, adultery like that, there are stages of grief. I heard the saying once, Karen, that trust is earned in drops and lost in buckets. Mm-hmm. And when you have an affair, you lose buckets of trust. Uh, where are you? Are you being faithful? Are you telling the truth? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you interested in someone else? All those kinds of things. And those are plaguing questions once adultery, mm-hmm. someone's committed adultery on you. The only way is for the spouse that's cheated to demonstrate trustworthiness, being honest, being accountable, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. And I totally agree, Karen, with what you said. And that is, there are many great books that have been written by women who have been cheated on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris and Cindy Beal, our friends from Oklahoma City, mm-hmm. he was a serial adulterer. Uh, and Cindy ended up raising a child that he had out of wedlock. And so it was an incredible testimony. But you talk about someone who had to deal with mm-hmm. the de- not one affair, mm-hmm. but a series of affairs. So there are books out there that are available that you should read that will help you. But definitely go into a support group having a friend, especially someone who's been through it successfully, mm. and having somebody to talk well, to Well, and, is a big and deal. not being able to forgive him is huge. You know, right. she's having trouble forgiving, and um, it's one thing to build trust. It's another thing to forgive. Yeah. And, you know, I'd start with the baby steps of forgiveness first. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. My in-laws are very overbearing and nosy about our marriage. They want to know too much about the inner workings of our marriage and feel like we are cutting them off when we don't let them into the intimate parts of our relationship. My husband feels like he has to choose between us or losing a relationship with his family. I'm tired of this codependency and would like any advice that you can give. Well, the first advice that God ever gave a married couple was you have to leave your father and mother to Mm -hmm. cleave to your wife. You want to love your parents. Uh, You know, you want to respect your parents. Now, when you're at home, as a child, you obey your parents. When you leave home and get married, you honor your parents, but you don't have to obey them. And our son, Brent, and his wife, Stephanie, lived two doors down for us for mm-hmm. five years. Mm-hmm. 
we never had one bit of problem because we never went down to their house without an invitation. Mm-hmm. Now, they were in our house all the time, stealing food and everything else, <laughs> and we loved it. But we always respected those boundaries. We never went down there and tried to intrude on them. And we have our daughter and her mm-hmm. husband, and we have our son and his wife. We've never had a problem because we just respect those boundaries. And we're very close to them. We mm-hmm. have very close friendships with mm-hmm. our kids and, and their spouses. But we respect that boundary. So here's the issue. Um, you, let's just say this is your husband's parents, and they're trying to transgress the boundaries of your relationship. My parents did this, and your parents did this. Okay? Mm-hmm. You have to lovingly put the boundaries on the relationship and say, we love you, we love being with you, we want to be with you. This is a private area of our relationship we're not gonna to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. Our finances, the how we raise our children, whatever like that. We, this is something that we love you, this is a private area of our relationship, mm-hmm. and we're not inviting in. It's not because we don't love you or trust you. This is just a private area of our relationship. Mm-hmm. See, if your parents intrude to the point where there's no longer privacy, it means there's no longer a, a binding of together. A man will leave to cleave mm-hmm. to this. But if there's not leaving, there can't be cleaving. In other words, the parents are like this. They're standing between mm-hmm. you coming together as a couple. There are conversations and prayers and things that we do together that our parents just aren't a part of. Well, and I, I, two things I would say don't ever do in your relationship with your um, in-laws or even your parents is don't tell them when you're having issues Absolutely. in your marriage. Don't share Absolutely. those times because then they stay mad at the spouse and you're getting, you're, well, you're over it. You're over it and they're still <laughs> mad. Yeah, it's, it's and, in the, and, a, and as an in-law, I've learned how to be an in-law yeah. because I know how I didn't like to be treated in our, our when we were first married because you know our parents were very you know controlling and dominant and you know so I've I learned you know be careful and don't give your opinion every time they say something that's right let them just talk you know and oh. you know they don't have to know everything you know if they ask me for my opinion yeah. I'd be happy to but not in a domineering right. dominant way let them come to you I heard someone say one time that uh, being an in-law is the art of shutting up mm-hmm. and so your kids don't want all your opinions they, they need to learn to navigate life by themselves but you're available you know I'm, we're here if you need us but in and, and that way when they come it's free will and we have a great relationship hope this was helpful to you we're going to go now to the teaching on freedom foundations of freedom uh, in your own life if you haven't subscribed to the marriage day podcast do it on the apple podcast network or on spotify leave us a comment we'd love to hear from you we're going to the teaching now on freedom this is john chapter 8 beginning in verse 31 jesus said to those jews who believed him if you abide in my word you're my disciples indeed and you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we're Abraham's descendants and have never been bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And that's talking about total freedom. So Jesus promises every person total freedom. And so if you're here and you're totally free, that's great. But I've never met a person who got saved and was free. In fact, getting saved means you're on your way to heaven, but it in no way means that you're set free. It means that the freedom is available, but it doesn't mean that it's automatic. 
And so Jesus, we're, we're going to begin just by talking about some foundational truths about freedom. And this is what Jesus talked about in John 8. And the first foundation of freedom is the authority of God's word. If the word of God does not have authority to you, if you don't act upon the word of God, you're not going to get set free because bondage is caused by rebellion against the word of God. That's how mankind fell into bondage is when the devil showed up in Eden and said, has God indeed said? And he questioned God's word and Adam and Eve sinned. That's where the bondage that all of us experienced came from, the fall of mankind in rebellion to the word of God. Jesus said to the Jews, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth and that truth will make you free. If you abide, abide means live, stay, reside. It means you don't have a casual relationship with the word of God. It means you're not dating the word. It means you married it. You believe the word. You're a person of the word. And here's what the Bible says about itself. 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And the word inspiration there is the Greek word theonuma. Thea is God and pneuma is breath. It means all scripture is God's breath. It's the word of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. Hebrews 4. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the word of God is alive. When you, when you let the word of God inside of you, it's alive and it comes in and there are two edges to it. Let me show you what the two edges are. Psalm 107:20. He sent his word and healed them. That's one edge is a scalpel and delivered them from their destruction. The other edge slays the enemies of God. So do you realize when you accept the word of God, when you let the word of God come inside of you, it can divide between the thoughts and intents of the heart. It can go where no man can go. It can go where you can't go. The spirit of God comes in and he heals and slays the enemies of God inside of us. And that's where freedom comes from. It comes from the word of God. So that's the first foundation is, I believe the word of God, and I'm going to act upon the word of God. And all of our bondages are because we're not living according to the word in a certain area. Number two foundation is the depravity of mankind. And what I mean by that is this, Jesus, Jesus came to the Jews who believed in him and he started talking to them about freedom. And here's what their response was. We're Abraham's children. We've never been in bondage to anybody. And of course, they were in total bondage. They became extremely offended at the thought that they could be in bondage because they were a very proud people. I've never met a person who got saved and wasn't in bondage. There's no such thing. And so what God loves is God loves us to be humble and honest about our issues. And it doesn't mean you tell everybody all your issues. But it means we all have to come to the place of saying, I messed up. Because we all are messed up. We're more messed up than we would want to admit. But freedom begins by us telling the truth. And here's the truth, Romans 3. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. And the point here is this. Some people would say, well, I'm a good person. Well, you may be a good person compared to other persons, but God doesn't compare us with people. He compares us with Jesus. 
Compared to Jesus, I'm not a good person. And whenever we're congratulating ourselves on how good we are, we're using the wrong standard. There's no one who's good. There's, according to this, Romans 3, there is no difference for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. So, so the point is, to be free, we have to begin with the truth that says, I'm not. I'm not the person that I wish I was. I'm not gonna put on a facade because remember Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. They were pretenders, they were actors. And they had all these issues in, inside that they wouldn't admit. In fact, they pretended they didn't exist. And what that does is it means you're gonna live the rest of your life in bondage because you won't tell the truth. Freedom begins by saying, I messed up. I'm, I'm not the person that I should be. I'm, I'm on the inside, the real me. I need help. And God gives grace to the humble but he resists the proud. So we have to begin by humility. Number three, foundation of freedom is the priority of our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, whom the Son sets free. He didn't say whom the Lord sets free or who Christ sets free. He said, whom the Son sets free. This is a relational context. And what he's saying here is, I want a relationship with you and that relationship is gonna set you free. Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He came to start a personal relationship with you. And that relationship will make you free. Now listen to what I'm about to say because this is huge in this series. Freedom is not about being set free from something. Freedom is about being set free to love God and other people properly. When you're in bondage, when you're in bondage, it keeps you from loving God the way that you should and serving him and loving your spouse. When, when Karen and I got married, I was in bondage in every area of my life. Well, I just destroyed Karen. I mean, I, just, I was a horrible husband. I was verbally abusive. I mean, I, I was just horrible until I got set free. And now I'm perfect and I'm a wonderful husband. <laughs> I think Karen's watching this. I probably should take that back. So, but when you're set free, it means you're safe to be around. You're able to love, you're able to be affectionate, you're able to say I'm sorry. You're, 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 just, you're yourself, the way that God created you to be. But bondage keeps us from God and from good relationships with other people. So those are the three foundations, the authority of the word of God, the depravity of mankind, we're all messed up, and the priority of our personal relationship with Jesus. So now let me transition, I wanna to talk to you about the four areas of freedom. So the reason that so many people don't get set free is because Freedom doesn't happen one-dimensionally. We are, we are multi-dimensional beings, and you have to understand those dimensions to understand how freedom takes place. So in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, some Jewish leaders came to Jesus. They were trying to trap him and asking questions. And one of their questions was, what is the most important commandment? Here's Jesus' answer. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Those are the four dimensions of our being. We're not, we're not single dimension beings, we're not physical people. We have a mind, we have a spirit, that's your heart. We have will and emotions, that's your soul, and of course we have a body. So there are four dimensions that Jesus talks about. Listen, your mind was created to love God. The number one reason that God would created your mind was to love him. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He created your body to love him. He created your spirit to love him. He created your emotions to love him. 
That's why we were created. And bondage, of course, keeps us from loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, so listen to me. So we're multidimensional beings. Freedom happens on all four levels. If you're, if you're truly free, it means your body is free. You don't have addictions driving you, okay? It means you're mentally free. Your mind, you're able to think clear thoughts and you don't have all these voices in your head. It means I'm spiritually free and it means emotionally I'm free. My emotions, I don't have anger and rage and jealousy and low self-esteem and all these things driving me. And again, I wanna say when I got saved, I was in bondage on all four levels in some way. So here's my question in beginning the series on totally freedom, total freedom. And this is just between you and Jesus. Are you mentally free? Are you truly free in your mind? Or is there something happening up there that shouldn't be happening? Okay. Are you emotionally free? Do you have issues emotionally that you wish you didn't have? Do you act and feel in certain ways that you wish you didn't, but you feel like you're out of control? Are you spiritually free? Do you think that you've got some spiritual issues there? And are you, what did I miss? Mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically. We begin and we have a bondage or an area where we're not free on one of these four areas. Well, the trick of freedom is making sure you're dealing with the right area. In other words, if I'm experiencing depression. Now, the fourth message that I'm gonna bring in this series is on discouragement and depression, because this is an epidemic in our society. And I wanna talk about freedom from that. So there, there are multiple reasons for depression, okay? The number one reason for depression is spiritual. Listen, listen to me. So a person, a person you're, you're talking to a person and they say, I'm depressed, okay? So kind of logically you would say, you have an emotional problem. Depression is not in any way an emotional problem. It manifests itself emotionally. Isaiah 61 says, God has given us a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, the spirit of depression. The number one reason for depression is a demonic spirit uses a circumstance, a hurt, a rejection, a failure, something in our life, and Satan being as evil as he is, he takes opportunity through our misfortune, and a demon spirit comes and puts us under a cloud, under a wet blanket, and we wake up and we're depressed. We don't have an emotional problem. We have a spiritual problem, and the only way you're gonna do, deal with that spiritual problem is to rise up and say, demon spirit of depression, I reject you, and I'm gonna stand up and praise my God. I'm gonna put on a garment of praise, and I'm rejecting a spirit of heaviness. So again, I wanna say, we have an epidemic in America of depression, and I've been, let me just say something. I feel sorry for anyone who goes through that, because it's real, and there are some other reasons for it, and I'm gonna talk about that in the fourth week, but I want you to listen. So we're multidimensional beings but you have to deal with your issue in the right dimension or you're not gonna get set free. Well, let me talk about lust for just a minute. So when I was a young man growing up, one of the boys on our block, he was about, I don't know, 15 years old, I was probably 12, and his dad was in prison. And um, he, his father had a subscription to Playboy and when he went to prison, the mother gave the subscription to Playboy to the son every month when the Playboy came in. Well, he then brought it to all of us boys in the neighborhood. That was my sex education. Everything I learned about sex, I learned from sin and from the wrong information. So uh, 
Karen and I got married and, you know, I got saved a week before we got married, but I still was in bondage to lust. And, and I, I was never in bondage to pornography. Pornography was different back then. It was kind of hard to find and I was never, in, I saw it and I, you know, I liked it when I saw it, but I knew it was wrong. And so I always felt guilty. I always felt uh, condemned. I felt like I was kind of a junior league Christian that God really, you know, didn't like very much because of all my struggles with that. And I was a young man, you know, I was a healthy young man and I just, I just didn't know how to deal with it. So I was, Karen and I went on vacation and uh, I was in the living room, we were with Karen's folks. And on the table in front of me, I noticed a book and it said biblical meditation. And you know, that wasn't a real attractive book to me at that point and I thought, I don't know if I want to biblical meditate or what. So, but I picked up the book and I started reading it and as I opened it up and I started reading the first pages, the introduction said this. I sold pornography out of my basement when I was a child to all the neighbor friends. And I, I was in a, uh, addi addicted to pornography all of my adult life and I was addicted to pornography as a seminary college uh, president. This was the introduction to the book. And this man that wrote the book was talking about his lifelong addiction to lust and pornography. And he said, I never got set free until the day that I learned to meditate on the scriptures. And he said, the only way that you can deal with lust and pornography is to take your thoughts captive and replace them with the word of God. Well, I put the book down and I immediately began to apply it. Instantly, I was set free. Instantly. From that point forward, anytime, lust, anything like that came, I could immediately defeat it. Immediately, not five minutes, not five days, not hard. If I can do it, the reason God uses me is if I can do it, anybody can do it. Instant freedom from sexual bondage. So I had, so I've been, this is my little book that I wrote. That guy's book is not in circulation anymore. This is a book that I wrote called A Mindset Free. This is about freedom over sexual bondage, pornography, lust, all types of things like that. We, uh, this is available on Amazon.com, marriagetoday.com. We've sold many thousands of these. A lot of men carry this in their back pocket because it has scriptures in here to meditate on. But I'm saying lust is not a physical issue. You can take all the cold showers you want to. You can use up all the cold water on the earth. It's not gonna help you out one little bit. You can cast demons out of yourself. You can slap yourself. You can feel bad about it. You can tell God you're sorry. It doesn't matter. The only thing that's gonna change it is learning to take your thoughts captive. Lust is not a physical problem, it's a mental problem. If you have fear, and I'm not talking about the good fear of you're driving down the street and someone swerves in your lane and you swerve out. That is temporary, circumstantial, protective fear. That is the type of fear that God put in us to, to, for good reasons, okay? Chronic, debilitating fear is a demon spirit 100% of the time. 2 Timothy 1.7, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. You were not born with one ounce of fear inside of you. It's a demon spirit, so chronic anger. Root of bitterness. You say, no, okay, now that, that, that's emotional. No, it's not spiritual. Be angry. Don't sin, Ephesians 4. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath or you'll give place to diabolos, the slanderer. Anger's fine. God gets angry. There's not, not one thing wrong. Paul says here, be angry, but just don't sin. Don't get angry and use it as an excuse to sin. 
Don't let the sun go down on it. Because today's anger is fine. Yesterday's anger is inhabited by a demonic lie. Now listen to me. I want you to listen. If you go to bed on anger, you have been counseled by the devil and you don't know it. And he will accuse. Slander, uh, diabolos, means slander. I went to bed mad at Karen for the first several years of our marriage and without knowing it, because the devil's very stealthy. He doesn't tell you it's him. I had strongholds in my mind about my wife. I was ready to divorce her. We almost divorced. I had strongholds in my mind that were totally demonic. And I thought they were inspired. I thought that I was right about Karen. And God supernaturally intervened in our marriage and showed me who Karen really was, which was the opposite of what I thought. Let me say this, if you're a grudge holder, if you're bitter, if you're angry, you have deeply held beliefs about people that are totally deceived. And the only answer, I'm not talking about today's anger. I'm talking about yesterday's anger. I'm talking about contempt, bitterness, cynicism, all of those things. I promise you, you've got to take authority over a demon spirit of slander. Because you, you think you're right about people, you're not right. You're under the influence. It is a spiritual issue, and it has to be dealt with on a spiritual level, and also you have to forgive. You have to forgive. Number four, low self-esteem. This is the last one, low self-esteem, self-deception. When we got married, Karen had the lowest, lowest self-esteem of any person I'd ever met. And you say, well, that, that's an emotional problem. No, it's a mental problem. Psalm 107.20, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. I, you, you've never, you can't, Karen today is the most confident, godly, healthy person on the planet. When I married Karen and we started dating, she thought that she was, I mean, she, she hated herself. And she did not believe that God could love her. But in spite of that, for the last 45 years, she has woken up every day and read the Bible. Even when she didn't believe it. She could believe the condemnation parts of the Bible. She just couldn't believe the love parts of the Bible. I watched as every day Karen read the Bible and it completely reprogrammed her. Understand this. The importance of reading the Bible and meditating on scripture is this is brilliant hardware, but the software is corrupted. Reading the word of God reprograms your hardware and it kills the viruses. Karen wakes up every day and reads the word of God. And she is programmed, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in it he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by rivers of water, and everything he does will prosper. When you meditate on the word of God, it means you're wired for success. You've got the right thoughts in your head. And so low self-esteem literally is believing a lie about yourself. I'm gonna say something to you. If you knew what God thought about you, you'd never have another insecure moment in your life. He's nuts about you. He created you, Psalm 139, and he didn't make a mistake. Low self-esteem and self-deception, they're the product of wrong thinking. And so I just wanna say to you, in closing this message, that. We're gonna talk about a lot of different issues related to freedom. You are loved by God and he is not ashamed of you. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage and I wanna thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. 
We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out exomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events. 